Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Worst. Okay, so here we are, here we go Another episode of Self Worst Hi, I'm Brad Pearson I'm coming to you uh, live from the post-op of my vasectomy Wow, that just happened. So that just happened. So I did a thing. Um, yeah, I did it. And I'm sitting here, yeah, I'm not feeling too bad. It was a pretty painless procedure. Not great. Didn't feel wonderful. There was some discomfort. I was, I was squirming around a little bit. Not even because pain, mostly because I'm ticklish. I couldn't see what they were doing. And there were like hands I could feel like pulling and stuff. You know, and I was like, eh, I was kind of like tensed up. And they were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I hope I'm not being too much of a baby. And then nobody answered me. So I guess I was being kind of a baby. That's okay. Because uh, now, no babies. No more babies. That's a thing now. And uh, I feel good about it. I... I don't know. It was a it was a weird day. And I feel like I want to talk about it if you don't mind because I want to normalize this for men out there. Uh given that uh reproductive rights are uh circling the drain all over the country and uh you know, it just isn't fair that the burden of reproductive choices is placed pretty much solely on women. Uh, you know, it, it's an invasive procedure to get a vasectomy. There's some controversy on whether or not it is actually reversible. I don't want to give you uh, false information about it. Uh, depending on where you look, people say it's like 95% reversible. People say it's not reversible. I, I don't know. I'm not counting on it being reversible. You shouldn't count on it being something that you can go back on once you do it. You know what I mean? So, like, that's one thing. And the permanence is kind of scary. It's kind of daunting just to take that step. To have somebody look you in the eye and say, are you sure about this? You are about to make a big boy choice. Like, that is a... That's a thing. And... I think it's normal to be nervous about it, to be scared about it maybe, to even have like fleeting doubts go through your head because you're gonna you're gonna have all kinds of thoughts because you're gonna be squirming around on a table for a second and then it's done. And then you limp home and then you think, Great, I did it. It wasn't so bad. I mean, talk to any woman who's gotten an IUD put in and think about the discomfort that, you know, having a minimally invasive procedure. I walked, I took the train right afterward. I took the F train back home. I'm fine. I, I, I watched a homeless guy burn his leg hair off with a lighter. 
You know, I was just having a normal New York City day right after it. So it's really not that big of a deal. And I think that it's something that should just be talked about more and should just be more of an option. Because, um, I don't know, I feel like we've been waiting on male birth control for uh, pretty much our whole lives. And it's just not going to happen. I've been hearing that it's just around the corner since before I was sexually active. It's, they're not going to fucking... They're not going to do it, right? So, these are our choices, such as they are. Not wonderful, but is what it is. And, you know, I'm... I'm feeling fine. There's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit of discomfort in the old berry sack, but not too bad. It feels, here's what I can compare it to. And this really only applies to the fellows that are going to know what I'm talking about. It feels like having blue balls. It feels like I have, you know, it's just sort of, there's a, there's like a pressure. But it's not pain. It's not too bad. It's just kind of tender, kind of not not too bad. Anyway, that's what's up with me and my nuts. How are you? I don't know. I guess I'm supposed to go to work tomorrow um, because I took the wrong day off work when I was scheduling this procedure. Uh, I took Monday and Tuesday off instead of Tuesday and Wednesday. So that right there is a good example of why I did this. Because I couldn't even tell my dog walking job the correct day of a medical procedure that I knew full well what day it was. I could just look at my phone and I did it wrong. So organization and reliability and, uh, you know, keeping track of shit is maybe just not a, I just don't, I, you know, I, I just don't, I don't trust myself with a child. I don't want that for anybody. No, thank you. And I kept waiting my whole fucking life for that feeling to kick in. You know, because they tell you, people tell you over and over, like, oh, yeah, well, eventually you will. Eventually you'll change your mind. And I kept waiting. I kept waiting for that moment when, like, you know, it's everywhere. It's like a media trope. Like Sam Neill in Jurassic Park. He's like, I don't like kids. And then at the end, he's like, oh, I went through a big situation with these kids. And oh, look, they're resting their little head on my shoulder. Oh, I feel tender feelings because we almost got eaten by a dinosaur together. And now I want kids. Look at me. That's fucking propaganda, bro. That's Steven Spielberg getting in your head. Don't listen to him. He's a rich boomer. He doesn't have to deal with fucking millennial angst. He doesn't have to deal with our situation. He doesn't know our fucking deal. Don't let him tell you what to do. Don't let him get in your head. If it's not something you want to do, then don't do it. You gotta really want to fucking be a parent. You gotta, you gotta not be like, oh, maybe the feeling will... Be- you know what people talk about? Like the feeling will kick in once you see your own kid. Are you fucking kidding me? You go through the nine month process of pregnancy and 
shell out all of this money and bring a human life into the world on the off chance that maybe you will like the baby once it's born? Oh my god, that's a fucking gamble. I don't... I don't think so. I'm good. Me, my partner, my dog. That's it. That's us. Anyway. Going to Montreal this week. Going to be limping around up there. I think I'm going to be, hopefully, going to be recovered by the time we get up there. They say you just bounce right back. So I'm looking forward to just being pretty much fine the next few days up in Montreal. And speaking of Montreal, that's where our guest is from. Clementine Morrigan. She's a a punk zine artist and writer living up in Montreal. Um, I never actually met her in person. I did not record this interview in Montreal, although I will be there when this episode drops. Shit's weird like that, man. You know, it's crazy how the universe works. Also, by the way, I might not have an episode for you next week. I'm sorry, because I'm going to be in Montreal. It's time and shit. I can't always get it for you. Sorry. Anyway, Clementine is a bit of a controversial, 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 contra, contra, she's a a person of controversy because uh, she's been quote unquote canceled by the woke mob and all of that stuff and um, talks about uh, the phenomenon of cancel culture from a leftist perspective, which is, I think, something that is really vital uh it's a discussion that should be had for how we handle people who have done things that are not in alignment with our values as leftists as people on the left as progressives as whatever you want to fucking call yourself and i don't think that uh fucking tucker carlson and fucking sean hannity And Ben Shapiro should have a uh, monopoly on the conversation about all of that. And I don't know. It's, It's a big, open debate. And there's a lot of loaded words and a lot of feelings involved with this. And you might be listening to this and vehemently disagreeing. Your blood might be boiling. I hope that you can keep an open mind. And just listen to what she has to say. I, I, I know that this can be a difficult uh, topic to broach with people. So I hope that you stay with me on it. I hope that you know that I'm with you. I love you, the listener. And... Uh, that I hope that we are building a community here that is uh, inclusive and safe for everybody, right? Even people who we maybe disagree with on a couple of things, but we're mostly in alignment with, right? I don't know. It's different with uh, celebrities versus regular people who get uh, piled upon, who get... uh, called out for problematic behavior or words 
Um, because the thing with this whole thing is that when it happens, when shit like this, when bad stuff comes out about uh, a famous, a rich famous person, what happens? Pretty much nothing. They might lose a job on a film or a TV show, but they're still rich and famous and nothing really comes of it. And we just get more and more frustrated. And I think what happens is we take it out on our peers who have maybe done or said similarly uh, fucked up things that we don't like. And I am not endorsing anybody's behavior. But what I am saying is maybe we could all, as a culture, as a people, work on our conflict resolution skills a little bit. Myself included. I am including myself in that statement. I am not good at conflict. I'm not good at confrontation. I usually shy away from it. I am an avoidant person. I'm a coward. If I have beef with somebody, they're usually the last to know. It's a Midwest nice thing. I'm working on it. I had a whole other fucking slew of issues psychologically, mentally that I'm working on. It's on the list. I'll get to it. I want to work on my conflict resolution skills. So, uh, that's on the docket, I guess. Anyway, this has been a long intro. I didn't know that I was going to launch right into vasectomy talk like five seconds in. I'm sorry about that. If that's not what you want to be listening to, I don't know, man. It's going, it's hard for me to ignore. There's a bandage around my junk right now. It's kind of hard for me to, like, think about other stuff. You know what I mean? Anyway. I've about had it. Uh, this is about that's enough. Let's, uh, let, you know what? Let's go to the interview, and uh, I'll see you on the flip side. So, uh, before we, you know, really get into it, I thought we'd maybe go over some of like the terminology because there's, there's some of like, there's some kind of like esoteric language that I think you use on, on your podcast, uh, such as the Nexus and stuff that uh-huh, I thought might uh-huh. be helpful to explain just because, um, I feel like that might come up as we're discussing things. And I think it's a good, uh, term. It's a, it's a, it's a good word that kind of encapsulates something that, has yet to really be defined, I think, in the mainstream. Um, and so, like, if you could talk about that a little bit and talk about um, maybe, I feel like maybe some of my listeners might, might be curious, and I don't think this, but I think some of my listeners might be curious, like, why even use the term cancel culture? Because it is so loaded of a term, and I think it, it might be, I feel like, the right has such a monopoly on any discussion of this thing. They kind of more or less seem to have coined the term. So, you know, uh, can you talk about that? Totally. Okay. So first I'll start off with the nexus. So basically Jay, my podcast, my podcast host, co-host and I, we, um, we kind of use the nexus as like a placeholder because like you said, there really isn't a term for this. Like everything sort of gets at it and doesn't quite. Um, 
If I was going to use any kind of normal terminology, I might use social justice culture um, with quotes around social justice. Right. Um, but basically, when we talk about the nexus, we're talking about um, a nexus of three things, like a an intersection of three things, which is cancel culture, um, identitarianism, and social media. And so we're basically looking at what emerges out of these three like distinct but connected phenomenon basically um and so social media we all know what that is i don't really need to explain that cancel culture we define as a culture of targeted harassment campaigns against people that extend out to their social connections um so it's not just the target being harassed but it's anyone who maintains a connection with them and that attempts to threaten the person's social and material security. So that's what we mean when we say cancel culture. And it is um, a phenomenon that I think exists and has existed in various forms across the political spectrum. I don't think it only exists on the left, but we are on the left. We are in social justice progressive circles and we are talking about the phenomenon as it exists there. Um, And then the third component is identitarianism, which is distinct from identity politics, but connected, I guess you Mm -hmm. could say, in that basically identitarianism is the privileging of identity, not only as like a place of authority and knowledge, um, but basically it's like this, um, it it, it really doesn't make sense when you, when you interrogate it very far, because people will say, listen to the voices of X identity group, right? And they will say that to back up this specific ideology, which is an identitarian social justice ideology that they're putting forward. But then if if you bring forth people of that identity who don't agree with that ideology, it's not like they will actually like challenge that person's identity and their right to claim space in that group before they will admit that there's actually a diversity of opinions within any identity group. Right. So it's like it's a, it's essentialism and it's acting as if ideas just spring forth naturally from identities and that identities sort of have a cohesive internal experience across the board, which is fundamentally untrue and it's actually like contradicted by the whole framework of intersectionality, which they also claim to believe. So that's just like a really quick rundown sure. of the three things. We have episodes on each one of these where we talk about it for like over an hour. So if people want to dive in, the podcast is called Fucking Cancelled and we definitely unpack it a lot more. But then to get to your question about why use the term cancel culture, I actually feel very strongly about this Mm -hmm. because people get very mad at me all the time for using the term. People get mad at you? Oh yeah, they get mad at me all the time. But they, they, so first of all, canceled people, which literally is like, There are canceled people. There's a lot of them, you know? There are people who have this experience and they aren't celebrities. They aren't famous people, you know? Like, sure, there's some celebrities and famous people who have something like this experience, but the vast majority of people who are targeted by these harassment campaigns and having their lives blown up are just regular people, you know? And they are experiencing a specific kind of interpersonal trauma that needs a name. So they have to call it something. 
Now, there's a lot of, the internet is a weird place because it's almost like all this stuff is going on, but there really is no sort of like formal historical documentation of it, right? So you'll hear very different origin stories for where terms come from. Simultaneously, people will say that that call-outs and cancel culture originated on the left, even that language originated on the left, and they'll usually say that it came out of Black Twitter, Mm-hmm. And I will get critiques saying that it is appropriative of me to use that language because it comes out of Black Twitter. And then simultaneously, I will get critiques that say that it comes out of the right um, and that it's actually the right wing who coined the term cancel culture. And so therefore, it's fucked up of me to use the term cancel culture because I'm basically being right wing. Right. Um, so I'm not really sure what's... Um, they haven't really agreed, and this is a common thing you'll see inside the Nexus, that there are contradictory things being said all the time and it doesn't really matter because it is not meant to make logical sense but my experience as someone who has been in this culture for many years is that it comes out of the left that call outs and call out culture was something that we on the left we used that language to describe what we were doing and it wasn't a negative thing we believed in calling each other out, you know? And then that language started to evolve and more people started to say cancel culture. Personally, I like the term cancel culture because I think that it is apt because people will say to me, cancel culture doesn't exist. You can't cancel a human being. And I'm like, yes, exactly. You really should not try to cancel a human being because they're a person, not a TV show. And yet that is exactly what cancel culture attempts to do. They they blacklist people. And so that person is marked now and can't really do anything without either being obviously harassed themselves or everyone associated with them being harassed. And it will follow them in all areas of their life. They will be banned from events. They will be, you know, pushed out of communities. I know many canceled people who have physically moved like either cities or even countries to attempt to get away from the harassment and it continues to follow them. So literally like they are canceled in the sense that their very being is now marked as bad and wrong um, and they can't get rid of it. Like there's no way to get rid of it, that, that marking. So I think it's really good for that reason. And then the other thing is that I'm like, just because the right says a bunch of stuff does not mean that we need to cede ground to them and just like let them be defining terms, you know? I personally think that they use the term incorrectly or at least not in the same way that I'm using it. And very often when the right uses the term cancel culture, they're talking about censorship. They're talking about experiences of being censored online, which I think is connected to cancel culture, but I don't think that that is actually what cancel culture is. It's censorship. And I actually also don't like censorship. I also have a problem with censorship, you know? And I think that there's a leftist argument to be made against censorship. Um, I don't agree with the way that the right talks about it, um, but I do think that it is a leftist position to oppose censorship. And finally, my last point for why I think cancel culture is important is that when people get canceled, which they do quite frequently, they know that what's happening to them is called being canceled. You know, even though everyone's constantly telling them that cancel culture doesn't exist, they know that that's what it's called. And so when they start to seek answers and a way to understand their experience, they're going to start Googling cancel culture. We do not want them to Google cancel culture and only find the right. We want them to find leftists who are explaining that what is happening to them is wrong, that it is real, that it is wrong, and that there is a leftist position 
of opposition against it. Because if we don't do that, then we lose people to the right because they're like everyone on the left is saying that this isn't happening and it isn't real. But it, cl- it clearly is real. Well, they're, they're not only like saying friends. that this isn't real. They're saying that, like, you're the worst person. And they're saying, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, they're saying a lot of really bad things and, like, cruel like, things. Like, it isn't real. You, and these are your friends. And it's also, it's also <laughs> you deserve it. Like, simultaneously. Yeah. So... I mean, the narrative is so out of whack with all of it because, yeah, I mean, I feel like when the right does talk about stuff like cancel culture, they talk about like, I don't know, Gina Carano, uh, you know, getting fired off of the Mandalorian because she made an anti-Semitic post. And I'm like that when I when I look at that as, you know, just an example. That to me isn't really cancel culture. That's a private company making a decision with one of their employees based on something that they said. And they're like, this is money. Like people are going to get mad at us. We can't have you out there saying this shit. You you're fired. Like that's not the same sort of thing. You know what I mean? I think the right is, is using it in a very like loose way to refer to the phenomenon of the nexus that we're talking about and the many, the many impacts that the nexus is having and like you know we can discuss like whether some of those are positive or negative but we can definitely say that social justice culture has changed things right and people on the right are like oh we didn't used to have to worry about getting fired over making a joke right and so now they're like that's cancel culture i'm like i don't think that that is cancel culture in and of itself i think it's a related phenomenon i would say though that if and i don't know about the specific case that you're talking about but i would say that if you know there was someone making posts online demanding that that person be fired and then you know hundreds of people started messaging the company demanding that person be fired i would say that that is cancel culture because mm-hmm. it is a it is like a mob like harassment campaign that is like forcing the hand of the company and the company isn't just deciding of their own accord that like it isn't in alignment with your values or something like that. And as leftists, I do think that we need to be concerned about the impact that this stuff does have on things like labor, because even though I don't know, you know, I don't know who that person is and it sounds like she's a, she's an MMA, like former MMA fighter who got cast on the Mandalorian. She got cast in like some movies. She was in a Steven Soderbergh movie. Right. So I'm going to guess that she probably is doing like, okay, financially based on that. You know, I don't, I don't know, but I'm guessing, yeah, she's probably fine. But the issue for me as a socialist is when this kind of thing starts happening to regular workers who are, whose health insurance is connected to their job, who are barely like, they're like living paycheck to paycheck. And something comes up that they said on Twitter, like, you know, five years ago, maybe it even was like a racist thing or an offensive thing or something like that. Yeah. But should they lose their job? Um, and now we are having situations that are like this with real, like regular workers, not celebrities, where there are like people digging up stuff or there is stuff happening on the internet, cancellation campaigns, where they are literally finding people's employers and like doxing them and stuff and like contacting their employers and demanding that they get fired. So in that case, you know, I think that we can say that we don't have to endorse whatever the person said online. Mm-hmm. to say that people deserve job security and that it's actually like a very serious um like people throw the word violent around constantly for all sorts of reasons but like taking away someone's someone's means to support themselves financially and their access to health care is a pretty uh violent thing to do under capitalism so yeah this i mean it, it's what all of this to me is reflective of is something that's just really frustrating to me about just the left in general, I'm speaking as a, you know, pretty dyed in the wool lefty guy, uh, is that it, 
and leftists will say this themselves that the the left eats itself that it just constantly it, there's just always infighting and there is just there is no you know for people who like to throw around the word solidarity there is just no fucking solidarity there is just no like not even amongst ourselves so like how are we going to like yeah. get people into like any sort of mass movement and join up with us which is what it's going to take to dismantle the massive and deeply entrenched systems of our society that are killing us and killing the planet and are like going to make us extinct soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's completely bonkers. We cannot be doing this. And like, you know, people are infighting on the left, you know, splitting hairs when we like mainly agree on everything. And I'm like, guys, we actually need to be able to work together and build solidarity with people who we have like fundamental disagreements with, you know, people who we, whose politics we don't like at all, you know, and people will say, I should not have to work with those people, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's really not about what you should have to do or, or not. Like reality is in reality, if we want to actually wield power, we need, we need mass numbers, you know, mm -hmm. we can't just be yelling things in the street or making little posts about stuff because the capitalists don't care. You know, they literally don't care. But if we had like a coordinated, um, cross industry strike where we were all withholding our labor and making coherent demands, that would be threatening, you know, but we're nowhere near close to be able to mobilize that kind of power because we're telling people to like, not talk to their grandma because like, she doesn't understand about they, them pronouns or something. Right. Yeah. It gets culty. It gets kind of culty. <laughs> yeah, it I does. don't know. Um, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot is you know, uh, my, my friend and comrade Julian, he uh, is a teamster and he uh, works a lot, at, you know, with, I mean, obviously with, with team, teamsters, union represent, representation and uh, making sure that people uh, get paid fairly, get uh, compensated and get, get treated fairly on the job. Um, and in order to do that, he has a lot of inroads with people who like definitely don't have like our same politics. I know he's like a big lefty and he, but he talks with a lot of, you know, like old school, like fucking, I don't know, Italian American Brooklynites right. here. And they're not always the most enlightened dudes, but like, guess what? They all band together to make sure that people get a living wage and that people are treated with you know, basic dignity and can retire one day and, and all of that stuff. So like, to me, that is so much more significant of a contribution to any kind of, uh, I don't know, leftist ideology than, uh, you know, policing people's grammar and like, exactly. you know, vocabulary online. It's just, it's just so impotent to me. And like, yeah, I think you, I, I was listening to one of your episodes, you had a guest on who was talking about how it is based in sort of this like impotent rage, um, which to me like is very understandable. And like, I am somebody who is like coming from that, like I've definitely been a part of like a, a, a mass online pylon. I fucking yelled at people on the internet and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it comes from living in a world where our actual justice system is not a justice system and mm -hmm. there aren't, there don't seem to be consequences for people who actually do bad things. And 
if they have money, then they're immune to all of it. It doesn't like Donald Trump can do whatever the fuck he wants and nothing. He will never, nobody in that family will ever face a consequence. And so that's obviously really frustrating. So some part of me does understand where people look at that and they're like, okay, well the law isn't going to do shit. So maybe we need to take things into our own hands. But then this is what happens. And I think sometimes it's, I sometimes make the, uh, the analogy of like an immune system where when people have allergies, what that is, is the immune system reacting to the wrong mm-hmm. thing. They're like, ah, peanuts, like kill it. Like it's right. an infection and like it sends your body into this, you know, um, reaction when it's actually a harmless substance that is totally benign and could like, exist within your system, but your system flips out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, an important point with this for people to really reflect upon is that like, we can't, we literally can't cancel Donald Trump, right? It's like, when people are trying to do these campaigns against people who have like huge amounts of money and power, we will see that like, we actually don't have the capacity to totally stop them or or prevent them from doing what they want to do just by canceling them on the internet, right? That's why, like, people like, you know, Jeff Bezos and people like that are totally not threatened by this culture at all and, like, will even, like, adopt, you know, like, the slogans of social justice culture because they're not threatened by it at all, right? But you're not going to see them taking on, you know, um, like, rhetoric about unions. They're not going to because they find that actually threatening to their power. And so, sure, we can, I think so much of it is, like, it's a process of scapegoating, right? It's, like, I can't get the guy at the top, you know, I can't get the whole system that is, that is crushing me, but I can get this, this guy in my community who's like a drummer in a band, you know, and I can totally destroy his life and like drive him out of town and then feel like I did something, you know? And like, I totally understand the psychology of it too. I used to be very much, you know, I wasn't a major canceler, but I definitely took part and I understand the psychology of it a lot. Um, But it's just not serving us, you know? When did you start to have like kind of the first inklings that you were like, eh, maybe this isn't really helping anybody and isn't like actually because it's not getting yeah. people, it's not getting bad people out of our communities. It's not making people safer. It's not, it's not helping anybody. And then like, yeah. So like my story is like, basically I am an alcoholic and I had a really sketchy time in my life where I was like really in a bad place and basically violence was happening around me constantly. I was definitely violent to people. I was street involved. I was all fucked up. You know, I was definitely not very politically correct at that time in my life. Um, And then I got sober and because I'm a queer person and a lefty, I landed into social justice culture and immediately I was like, oh my God, like I know that my life is over like if anyone ever finds out about my past, you know? Um, And so I lived with this like really deep and intense shame and fear about that. Huge skeletons in my closet. Like I'm trying to build this new life, but it's on this totally shaky foundation because I know that there is no grace. There is no redemption for people in this community, in this scene. Um, But I got sober in 12-step programs and 12-step programs taught me an entirely different way of thinking about things, which was one that had a lot of grace and a lot of compassion and did not define people by their worst mistakes, but by their potential and by what they're doing about it now, right? And so like I did the 12 steps and in the 12 steps, you know, we do a rigorous, 
you know, searching about what was going on for us, what was leading to that behavior. We change the behavior in a consistent and ongoing way, and then we make direct amends wherever possible. So like I went through that whole process, I made repair, and being in those communities showed me in myself and in the many other people around me that like huge amounts of transformation is really fucking possible. I myself went from being a tornado running through people's lives to now being, you know, completely in control of my behavior and being a kind and loving person. And I've seen that transformation with so many people who came from, you know, the bottom of the barrel, really doing some fucked up shit to now not doing that anymore and actually being a force of good. So I know that treating people with compassion, calling them in and being like, you know, we and not calling them in 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 the social justice sense, which is like a threat where they're like, you know, do what we say or otherwise we're going to take everything from you. This is a different way of relating where you're like, actually, um, I'm going to treat you with compassion and I'm going to see the best in you. And like, yes, I'm going to have boundaries and I'm not going to let you treat me badly, but I'm going to offer you tools and I'm going to offer you like um, community and I'm going to offer you the things that you need to actually do the work to change. So I had that, you know, going on. And then and then simultaneously, I was in a social justice culture where I was actually acting so out of alignment with those principles of mine, where I was actually treating people like they were disposable. I was defining people by not even their worst mistakes, but by like really petty mistakes, grammatical mistakes, ridiculous things. And I was try I was encouraged to see people as totally garbage because of that, you know, and to like really be extremely hard on them. And I was like, this is not in alignment at all um, with my with my principles of compassion, dignity for all people, uh, opposition to dehumanization, et cetera. And then also I have complex PTSD and I was in trauma therapy. And in trauma therapy, I was learning all of this stuff about like boundaries and integrity and what's mine and what's not mine, you know, and how to not be a people pleaser and have a fond response constantly. And so I was starting to see a mirror between like my abusive childhood and the things that I had gone through where people were like, this is only, this is only for your own good. If you would apologize, then we would stop. Like there's so much similarities between the things that people who are abusing me have said to me and the way that people act in social justice culture, which is just like, I'm right, you're wrong and you have to do what I say so. Like just what I say, doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a different opinion do what you're told. And then, you know, I'm doing this for your own good. This is an act of love. Like people literally say this while they're destroying someone's life, you know? So that like dissonance was growing and growing for me for a couple of years. And basically like when I was about five years sober, I reached a point where I was like, I can't keep acting out of alignment with my own principles like this, but it's terrifying because I don't want to destroy my life especially because I'm a writer and like have a public facing kind of job. I was like, I really don't want to blow up my life. But it started with a practice where I started to reach out to the people who I had shunned um, because they had been, you know, canceled in some regard. I had been told that they were bad news. So I had shunned them and I started to reach out to them and apologize to them Mm -hmm. for that. Um, What was that like? Was that scary? Was that like a I, I can only imagine that was like nerve wracking. I mean, I'd had a lot of experience doing similar things because I've done the steps. Right, right. right the so, steps. You gotta, you have to make amends and all that. So I had already made amends for like some pretty serious stuff, you know. And yes, it is, it is nerve wracking. But like, you do a lot of work before you do it. You don't just run in and do it. You do it after you have really come to an understanding of that behavior in yourself, change the behavior, and then yeah, you you get your courage up, you know. And like, it's a different framework because it's like when you approach 
saying, I'm sorry, and you and you really are sort of like putting your humanity in their hands, of course, that's terrifying. But like, I don't approach putting my humanity in their hands. I approach with an idea of like, I am inherently worthy, and I am inherently deserving of good things in my life. And I made this mistake, and I want to do as much repair as possible. But if that person doesn't accept that or want that, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Like I did what I could to make repair, you know? Um, and so I approach with that. And honestly, it's usually very well received. Like there's a way of doing it, you know? I think people who are interested in making amends or doing repair should like spend some time like looking into that. And I would recommend looking at the steps, even if you're not in a 12 step program, because it's very clearly laid out and it's right. helpful. Yeah, I mean, I'm not in a 12 step myself. Um, I don't consider myself an addict. I've never really done a the, like a 12 step thing. But from what I've gleaned from it, just doing this show and talking to a lot of people who are in 12 steps, like there are good, like it works for a reason. There are good yeah. nuggets of reason, good nuggets of, of wisdom in there. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it's a thing yeah. for a reason. Totally. And it works. And like basically... You know, you reach out and you basically just express like you get you ask them if they're interested and then you express your sincere regret for what you did and explain your understanding of it. And then you apologize. And if sometimes, you know, in some cases there's more tangible actions of repair that needs to happen, depends on the context. But in this case, it was just literally people that were sort of like adjacent to me in my life who I had just sort of cut out and I just started reaching out and apologizing. And then one of those people who was basically just an acquaintance of mine who I had a bunch of things in common with and we started to make a connection and I was told, don't talk to that person because they're bad news. And so I just cut them out and they tried to they tried to reach out to me and they were like, look, like people say this stuff about me. It's not true. They were also in the program and they were like, I don't know what to do. Like I've tried to make repair and people keep Xing me out of communities and it sucks. I was just like, I'm sorry, I can't be your friend because I did not want to be taken down. So I cut them out. And then once I made repair, turns out we had a lot in common and that person ended up being my partner and co-host. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that's Jay. And so like our relationship started with me basically taking part in their cancellation and me um, socially exiling them because of vague rumors that I had heard to me apologizing and then us connecting, eventually starting dating. And then now we've been partners for five years and have a podcast called fucking cancel. <laughs> right. See, um, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you to go into like why you were canceled and all of that stuff because also because like, I mean, I've heard you talk about how you, I don't know. I don't, I'm not even really interested. Like that to me isn't the point. And if the listener is curious, Google exists, but, <laughs> um, what I would like to know perhaps is um, what the fallout was after that. And like, if you can walk me through the, uh, the experience of, uh, you know, what those days, weeks, months, however long were like. Yeah. Years. So, I mean, it was brutal. Um, yeah. I mean, if you Google, why was Clementine Morgan canceled? You will literally hear that I am a member of the Nexium sex trafficking. Club. I heard that one. That was pretty it's funny. It's fucking weird. It's fucking weird. I'm also a Canadian. So I don't know. I yeah. had not heard about the Nexium sex trafficking cult until I was apparently found out. That until I was you were a part that's, of it. That's, that's, that's how, how they get you. <laughs> yeah, that's, 
that's how bonkers it really does get. But when it started, it was literally just 2020. And I was accused of not sharing Black Lives Matter on my Instagram account. And when I said I had shared about it, it was demanded that I deplatform my account. It was literally that simple. And I was like, I'm not going to deplatform my account. Um, and then it was over for me. It was literally that. Um, and basically within a matter of days, everyone associated with me was receiving messages saying that I was taking part in anti-blackness and white supremacy and demanding that, you know, my friends and my community members hold me accountable. And so I lost almost all of my close friendships and relationships in my real life, like immediately. Um, and it was fucking bizarre because if you look at my page, first of all, I'm an abolitionist and I've been talking about abolitionism for years before this. Secondly, literally on the front page of my Instagram, you could see that I had shared about Black Lives Matter. It was right there. But the fact that I questioned the person who accused me publicly of not sharing about it, I don't know that I wasn't allowed to do that. So I was supposed to deplatform. And so, and of course I didn't. So then I got into a lot of trouble. I had to move because I was living in a queer collective and they wanted me to do an accountability process. And I was like, I'm not doing an accountability process. That's literally absurd. What is that? Um, like, well, that's a whole thing. An accountability process is, it's a framework that comes out of transformative justice. Uh And basically it is like supposed to be a alternative to carceral punishment, right? So it's like an alternative to the cops, which is absurd because the cops are not going to be called on me for what I did or did not post on Instagram. That's literally doesn't make any sense. It's not an alternative to the cops. yeah. Yeah. You can't call the cops on me about that, but, um, did anybody try? I know. I mean, fortunately, they didn't call the cops on me, but they definitely destroyed my life. Uh So, um, yeah, they wanted me to do an accountability process. They wanted me to, like, own up to my, like, white privilege and my white fragility and, like, whatever, stuff like that. And I was like, I haven't done anything wrong. And I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong so sincerely. Like, I was not... I was not at a place in 2020 where I was like suddenly realizing that racism exists and having like a mental breakdown about whiteness, you know, like many people seem to have been doing. Sorry, for the sake of the timeline, this was after you had gotten sober and after you had kind of started to make amends with people and started to... Totally. By this point, I was about maybe like eight years sober. Mm. Jay and I had been partners for a few years and privately, I was like very against cancel culture. I already knew what it was. I already had a strong analysis about it. I already had a strong analysis about social justice culture and I was trying to slowly start talking about it in small ways, but I was very, very afraid of blowing up my life. So in my zines, I had written a few things about cancel culture. I was even like, you know, trying to um, be like complicate the identity based narratives a little bit, but very in a very tame way. And I honestly think like transparently like what the issue was is that like when 2020 happened and people suddenly started talking about police violence and abolitionism and all of these things to me in my political framework i'm like this is an opportunity for solidarity cross-racial solidarity and i did not do performative white guilt on the internet which is what was expected of me as a person with an instagram who is white right i did not take it as an opportunity to be like inside of me there is a deep white supremacy that i can never escape because like i genuinely don't believe that and i'm not going to tell the world that i'm a racist because i reject racism i reject all forms of dehumanization that is a deeply held value of mine and my anti-racist politics is very strong in a socialist tradition that I can talk about, but whatever. That's not the that's not the anti-racist politics that was coming out in 2020. And I wasn't gonna take part in any of this like 
white fragility, Robin D'Angelo nonsense, you know? And so people could see that, like people could see that I wasn't doing the right thing. I was posting about abolitionist things and I was supporting Black Lives Matter, but I wasn't doing it in, in the right way, I guess. And that is my true feeling as to why I got canceled, but they, they didn't really say that. They just said that I wasn't sharing about Black Lives Matter. So whatever. You could have just posted a black square on your grid and everybody would have known. And I okay. didn't. And you know, but then it's I didn't so either. funny. I didn't either. I didn't and apparently now, you weren't supposed to actually as yeah. it turned out like we found out that same day like everybody was like all the organizers were like no 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 don't do that you're fucking the whole thing up like, i know you ruined I our know. hashtag and like people will like people make up a lot of different variations about like what actually happened at that time um whatever so anyway so yeah i had to move i was like deeply fucking dramatized i was like suicidal because i was like my life is tanked I had just lost all my friends. I already had PTSD. I was traumatized. I was like, this is my worst nightmare. I can't believe this is happening. Um, my career is over. My life is over. I don't know how I'm ever going to like survive this, you know? Um, but I'm a very, very stubborn and tenacious person. And I had done, you know, nine years of therapy up to that point. So I knew, I was very clear that I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong. And that the way that these people were acting towards me was totally inappropriate. And in fact, it's abusive to, to dominate and control people like that and to mobilize social networks to try to coerce them into doing what you want them to do by threatening their material security and their entire social life, you know? So I, I knew that that was wrong. And I knew I didn't take it. I didn't take it on in any way. I wasn't like, oh, my God, maybe, you know, maybe I secretly deserve this. I was like, no, I don't deserve this. This is fucked up. And so, but of course my life was destroyed and I, I was traumatized. So I couldn't really like respond right away. I sort of disappeared for a little bit, not very long, like a month or two to sort of try to get my mental health straight. I had a couple friends who came through for me, but like very few out of the amount that I had lost. And then, you know, Jay and I, like we knew that this was coming. Like we always knew that it was coming at some point or another, that it was gonna happen. Um, we didn't know why we didn't know that it was going to be for that reason, but like, we knew that, you know, like I was always afraid I was going to get canceled for being Jay's partner, you know, because Jay already had all of these rumors about them. Um, and I was like a public figure. So like, at some point I was like, for one reason or another, it's going to come. And then it did. And so Jay and I, we just spent a lot of time walking around cause it was during the pandemic and like we had a curfew in Montreal and it was like very in intense lockdown. And we would just like walk around the streets of Montreal talking and talking and talking and, and saying all the things that we believed that we knew we were not allowed to say to anybody. And then we were like, fuck it. We're making a podcast, you know? And, and it was terrifying because it was like, this could be the end of everything if we actually do this. Um, and things were really different. Like things have changed in two years a lot in part because of the work that we've done, you know, like it was really scary to say these things, but we did it. We, we made a podcast. And then as a result of that, what has ended up happening is that because of the podcast and because of my Instagram, like I am this like beacon of light to canceled people. Right. And so canceled people, all sorts of canceled people, hundreds of them around the world, not only do they contact us and tell us their stories and like everything, but they share, they share our work. And so what ends up happening is that their cancelers get obsessed with us because they're like, oh, so somebody's going to empower this person. Somebody's going to this person who I think is evil and I'm trying to destroy their life and dehumanize them. Now this person is feeling empowered and they're standing up for themselves and they're sharing Clementine Morgan, 
well, fuck Clementine Morgan. And so now I have had all of these other cancelers come from me who were originally not associated with me in any way. Um, and so it has just, there's been like sagas of like crazier and crazier accusations put out against me, including that I am a member of an American sex trafficking cult. And at every point I'm like, it's gonna, people are gonna say this has gone too far. At some point people are gonna say, this is obviously insane. It makes no sense at all. And yet if you Google my name, literally like on the first page of results, it literally says Clementine Morgan, comma, a Nexium sex trafficking cult recruiter. <laughs> you could just say anything. So. Yeah. Wow. Have you met people who have um, sort of, I don't know, internalized the things that people yeah. are saying about them and let that, because for yeah. me, I feel like I, I struggle quite a lot with a sense of self-worth. Um, the name of this show is a play on the term self-worth. And so I do have a very fragile sense of self. I do have white fragility, you could say. You know, but like it's like I just have never really had that degree of vitriol directed against me i haven't had really much any attention one way or another it's mostly i just get ignored um but it's it's like i mean i i know in sort of small pieces what that feels like to have somebody who you've been friends like good friends with for a long time and then without really making an effort they just stop speaking to you cut you off unfriend you and they're they're just they're done. And, but like, what's especially concerning is you see that they already have this pattern of cutting people out of their lives and then talking mad shit about them. And the thing with right. people who talk mad shit about this person and that person is, is eventually going to be about you, you know, yeah. like it's gonna come for you. And so like, I remember always being kind of uneasy and then just feeling like afterward, like, okay, well, they're probably going to say some shit like I, I don't really I don't think I really have anything, you know, but like nobody does. Nobody really does feel like they have anything. That's yeah. And then it comes for them anyway. So I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think it's hardest on people who are like really big true believers inside the nexus or inside social justice culture, because there are people who have been inside this culture who who have not done the level of deprogramming that I had done by the time I got canceled, who up until the point that they themselves get canceled were actively canceling people, truly believed that it was like righteous justice, truly believed that people never lie on the internet, truly believed that if it's happening to someone, it's because they deserve it. And so when it happens to them, they're like, oh, okay, well, I believe in this system. So, and, and the other thing that's really tricky about this is that cancel culture lies to you and tells you that it is about accountability. And they constantly say that if you will just be accountable, then we won't do this to you anymore. But unfortunately, whenever people try to be accountable, their attempts at being accountable are always ripped apart and used as further um, reasons to cancel them, right? So like literally people will make an accountability statement where they will say, you know, thank you for this opportunity to learn. Here are all of the things that that you have told me that I have done. I agree I have done all of these things. I am very, very sorry. I will do, I will get rid of like, you know, I will give up my platform. I will give up, 
you know, stop going to these spaces, like whatever it is that you want. And then people will put it on, like literally on their stories and they will crowdsource. I've seen this more than once. They will crowdsource attacks of the accountability statement. So people will circle all of the fucked up things that that are in the accountability statement and how the accountability statement is actually just another example of harm, you know? And so I think for these, and I've met many people like this, it's like a crazy mind bending experience because they really believe that the other people who it happened to just refuse to be accountable, but they, they really are good and they will be accountable if it ever happens and they'll use it as an opportunity to learn. And so they try to do everything that is asked of them and it just keeps coming and it doesn't stop. And I have never once, and I am, you know, literally up to my ears in cancellations. Okay. I'm constantly seeing cancellations. Everybody sends them to me. I've never once seen a cancellation where somebody was just like, I, they did everything they were asked and then it just went away. Right. Like some, sometimes it's like more or less extreme, you know, and refusing to do what they want definitely makes it worse. Right. I've never really honestly seen it end in like, okay, good. All yeah, good. No, like, no, it thank you for saying it that. It. Let's move on. And that's on. the thing. That's the thing. It's not about that. It's yeah. not about accountability, right? It literally is about canceling the person. And so, yeah. And so for those people, I think it is very, it's a different journey because they have to really deprogram from this in real time when they see that like, no, it actually isn't, a, there is no redemption from this. So this is perhaps a bigger philosophical question under like kind of uh, just anarchist philosophy and less to do with like the nexus specifically. But um, do you believe that there are people who are just bad beyond redemption uh, and that what, if there are, then what is to be done with those people, given that we can't trust the justice system as it exists and we clearly can't trust the internet as it exists? Yeah, so it is a big philosophical question. I will start by saying that in these conversations, in these conversations that I bring up about um, abolitionism and, and, and being against punishment, people always want to go to the most severe cases of like serial killers and yeah. rapists, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, the vast majority of the situations that we're dealing with are not those situations. And I think that's really important to keep in mind because we always want to go to that, that place. And it's like, okay, but most of the people that we're talking about are not rapists and are not serial killers. They're definitely not serial killers, you know? So like, yes, I do think that there is a place for these larger philosophical questions. And yes, there are serial killers and we do have to figure out what to do with them. Um, but I think it's important to keep in mind that most of the time, even people, you know, like when we're dealing with things like, whatever ideological or rhetorical things i'm like okay that's pretty minor but even in situations like i'm saying you know in 12-step programs i know lots of people who have committed violent assaults and yes they're absolutely completely able to change their behavior like i know that for sure people who have definitely done people who have killed people can come back and change their behavior and are no longer a threat to people in their lives that is definitely possible but in there are situations you know where there's like you know people did some really really fucked up shit and in terms of like the philosophical question, I mean, I don't know that I can know the answer to that, but my general belief is that people become that way for a reason, through something that happened to them in their life. And I really do believe this. And there are people that say that like, whatever, I guess being a psychopath or something or a sociopath yeah. is like some kind of just brain disorder. Mm. I don't know. Like there was a serial killer operating in Toronto, um, even during the years that I lived there, um, he killed gay men 
and he was eventually caught and he killed like quite a lot of men, I think like eight or nine men. And it's quite disturbing. And the whole thing is like really, really fucked up. And like, I like looked into his life and of course it's like extremely vague, you know, but like there was stuff about his son, like acting out in these like weird, like sexual inappropriate ways, you know? And to me, I'm just like, well, I wonder why his son was acting like that. And then there was some other stuff about his childhood and it's like all very vague. But to me, I'm like, there's like a bunch of red flags that there was abuse in that family yeah. going back generations, you know? <clears throat> Obviously, most people who are abused in their family do not go on to be a serial killer. So maybe there is something else at play there, including perhaps something in his brain. But I do think that before we jump to the conclusions of like innate evil or that people are just born bad, I think we have a really big responsibility to deal with the massive amount of intergenerational trauma that currently exists, the massive amount of child abuse and neglect that currently exists. And until we really deal with that, we don't know. Like we can't really say what people would be like in a culture where this stuff wasn't happening, right? And so I would like to address that as much as we possibly can. I do think, you know, in our in our future anarchist society or whatever, we are going to have to figure out ways of, of keeping people safe. And in some extreme, extreme cases, that might include incarceration. Mm -hmm. For example, somebody who has killed 10 people, you know. <clears throat> um, but I would say that in most, the vast majority of cases, it doesn't need to include that. And I think that there are ways of keeping ourselves and each other safe and encouraging people to transform their behavior that don't include incarceration. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we could maybe kind of split the difference between uh, just complete anarchy and murderers and rapists running around on the street and also having the highest prison population in the world. Right. I feel like we can kind of meet somewhere in find, between. Find middle like there's like a lot of people <laughs> in the prison system who ne don't necessarily need to be totally, of course, locked of up. Course. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's just, <clears throat> so I was raised Unitarian. Um, I don't know. Do you know, do you have Unitarians in Canada? Is that a thing there? I mean, I've heard of it, but um, I don't know anything about it. So it's kind of like, a. uh, it's hard to explain. Unitarian Universalism is a merge is a merging of two religions, Unitarians and Universalists. Unitarians grew out of kind of a, a more progressive, um, more traditional Christian belief and universalists were more of kind of a secular humanist sort of thing that came from the West coast. Right. And they merged and they became Unitarian universalism as I understand it. I don't know. It's been a long time since I learned about the history of this shit when I was like 12. Um, but the main, like one of the main tenets of the religion, and I obviously don't really practice it much anymore is you know, the inherent worth and dignity of all human beings. And that's something that I've really held on to my whole life and has really made, made me really examine how people get treated in our society by people who I agree with and people who I don't agree with. Um, because like what you're saying, like, you know, people who have done really, really bad things. And that's what's going to happen if you mingle with recovering addicts who <laughs> lived on the street and shit, like especially. Right. Yeah. And I have to believe that there is a path to redemption, maybe not 
for everybody, but there has to be like a way to do it. Otherwise, what the fuck is the point of anything? You mess up once and then that's it. Like that is who you are for the rest of your life. Like I, I just can't, I can't, I can't jive with that. I can't get down. With yeah. That. And I mean, it's just crazy to me because as much as these people are obsessed with these accountability processes as like, you know, believing that this is how we create change. I'm like, because sometimes people are canceled for totally fake bullshit reasons. And sometimes people are canceled because they did some fucked up shit, yeah. you know? And in the cases where people did some fucked up shit, it's like, I've never seen a situation where a harassment campaign like led to them actually doing the work of changing. And I'm like, you might drive that person out of your community, but unless you are suggesting the death penalty, I don't know what you think they're going to do. They're going to go somewhere else. And if they haven't actually changed, all you're doing is just driving out the threat from your community into somebody else's community. Yeah. So we actually want to create the conditions under which people can change. And we are social animals. We don't change in isolation. We actually need community to change. And like, that doesn't mean that it has to be you personally, that has to be the community to this person. You know, if you're the survivor of, of some kind of violent act, obviously you aren't going to be the person who's going to help this person change. But like somebody has to. And like, I am one of the people who, people who have done really fucked up things come to, to talk to me and they say, I've done these fucked up things and I want to change. And I am able to, in some way or another, try to offer them resources and to, to provide some direction for them. But like, I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if there was more people doing that? But they're afraid to do that because if they associate with people who did fucked up things and they themselves get canceled and I'm already canceled, so I don't care. But it's like people, they need somewhere to go. And there's literally been, you know, canceled guys in my DMs like many times who are like, look, upon reflection, yeah, like my behavior was not great. And I know that, but I don't know what to do because I've lost my job. I can't afford a therapist. All my friends are turning on me. So what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to change? You know? And I'm like, yeah, you need time and support and probably a therapist and a community in order to do the work that like real actual lasting transformation requires. And so, and I know that it works because I've literally seen it happen so many times and it literally happened in my own life. And I'm also like, what a fucking waste, you know, if I was going to be permanently defined as like the drunk girl screaming at people on the street and that's it, that's the end of my story. And I don't get to be anything else for the rest of my life. Like I have been able to bring Right. A lot then, of good then, into the world. Yeah, then what's the point of being good? Yeah. Why not just be that? Why not just yeah. be a like Exactly. Why change if you're going to be permanently defined by it? It's not a motivational yeah. strategy to encourage people to change. It's really not. And people can change. Like, really, people can. I've seen it happen so many times. So I'm just like, we really need to give people a chance, you know? The internet is a wild place. I don't know. It's just it. It seems like some sort of like high school mean girlism <laughs> just seeped its way into our culture. And like you know, we are so advanced in the communication age with the internet, and like we've seen this sort of happen in our lifetimes. And it makes me kind of wonder a couple of things. Like, what was this like pre-internet? How did this work pre-internet? in like say i don't know just just 80s punks how did they fucking deal with that shit and um and like it it really kind of i don't know speaks to something about the human condition where we get all of this technology stacked up upon us and then we just sort of revert we use that technology to revert back to like 
like Salem, you know, there's like, like, like burning witches and shit and, and like mob justice and, and like, why is it like scarlet lettering people, you know, like, it, yeah. like, why are we ret- like, aren't we more enlightened than this by now? Like I, you would think, yeah. but no. From, from people I've talked to, it seems like in the seventies, in the eighties, like this was happening just on a much more localized scale because there wasn't social media, right? But people have told me about like the concept of trashing in like feminist scenes in like the 70s and that basically people would be iced out of communities and like some kind of version of this was going on, it seems. So I do think that the impulse towards scapegoating and exiling is kind of, it's something that humans do, you know? Um, it's something that we are capable of. It's like in our wheelhouse, you know, and I think that given the, given the conditions, like we will do it unless we, unless we decide not to, and unless we create a cultural change not to, you know, I don't think that it's like our destiny to do it, but I think that we seem to have a pattern of doing it over and over again. I just think that the, um, the internet has unfortunately made this, the scope of it so much bigger because it used to be, you'd be driven out of town. Okay. But you can go somewhere else. But now, because it follows you online, it's really, really hard for people to escape it. And so that makes the consequences of it a lot bigger. And also just the scope, like regular people didn't used to have thousands of people knowing what's going on in their life. You know, it's like social media has created like celebrityism about regular people who are not celebrities. Like celebrities are dehumanized. Celebrities are dehumanized and we think that it's okay to violate their privacy and the trade-off is is they get millions and millions of dollars, you know? Um, We turn them into weird archetypes and projection onto them and like consume their lives as entertainment. But the payoff was they get millions and millions of dollars, you know? Um, Regular people now are getting treated that way where we are, you know, having parasocial relationships with them, um, treating their interpersonal conflicts as entertainment and like, you know, voyeuristically consuming their lives, but they do not have millions and millions of dollars. These are just regular people who do not have money. They just have a regular life for the most part, you know? So it's especially weird. It's weird when we do it to celebrities, but it's especially weird when we do it to people who literally, they are just regular people. Do you still like the internet or do you wish you lived in a time where we didn't have it? It's a really complicated question for me because like I am an independent writer. And so most of my work is self-published and being canceled, like I lost two book deals because I was canceled. Like I had a signed contract and like, they were like, nope. And they pulled the book. So being self-published has been amazing because it means that they weren't able to totally tank my career because I had built up enough of my own audience that I can literally just sell directly to my audience. And that's how I survived being canceled career-wise. And it also just means that like, yeah, I have a lot of freedom to actually do the work that I wanna do. And I love that. It's something that's very important to me but it very much relies on my ability to reach my audience through the internet and through social media. So like if Instagram disappeared tomorrow, it would be way harder for me to make sales. And so it would be way harder for me to pay my rent. And so it's very much a double-edged sword for me. You know, like I definitely have friends who are like, just like fuck the internet at this point, let's get rid of it. And I'm like, ugh, like, then we have to like bring back, like, I don't know, like when we used to have magazines where you used to like put a little ad for your zine and people would send you the money in the mail. Mm -hmm. If we could bring that back at a good scale, then I'd be down for getting rid of the internet, but I need Mm. to sell my zines. (laughs) Mm. How's, um, let's do a mental health check-in. How's your mental health now? Uh, you, you, you on your grind, you're, uh, you're 
working with a therapist and, and oh, doing yeah. all the stuff. What what's, I got a therapist. What's been yeah. in your uh, toolbox lately that's been kind of uh, helpful to you that you would like to share with people? You know, that's like, oh, more people could use this. Um, internal family systems. I'm obsessed with internal family systems is a therapeutic modality. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, actually. Um, it's great. I really recommend it for people. Um, it's put out by a guy called Richard Schwartz and he has a book that's called no bad parts that I really recommend. It is the first therapeutic modality that so completely aligns with my ethics and my politics, as I have just discussed, because as I've been saying, like no bad people, this is no bad parts. And it's a therapeutic modality that basically puts forth the idea that all people have parts inside of them. It's not just something that people with dissociative identity disorder have. It's just that those people have it in a more extreme level, but like all people have parts. And like, we know this because you'll say things like a part of me wants to do this, you know, but not all of me. Uh, And so we know this intuitively, but it's a therapeutic model that works with those parts. And it's actually really helpful because a lot of people act in ways that are quite contradictory in their own lives, right? You might say you have a stated goal and then you constantly act in ways that sabotage that goal. If you look at it through a parts framework, you can see that there might be a part of you that really wants that thing. And there's another part of you that does not want it. And so is actively sabotaging it. And so it gives a lot more clarity because you start working with the parts and figuring out what they're doing, why they're doing it, what they want. And in like in other modalities, you know, you might be like, okay, well, that that aspect of me is something that I'm getting rid of, you know, whereas an IFS, there's no bad parts. You actually are like that part is doing a job. Yeah, it's doing it for a reason, you know, and it's actually trying to help me and protect me. And so I might not like its behavior, but I, I seek to understand its behavior and then to figure out what its needs are and to meet those needs um, in a different way, which is like exactly the same kind of thing that I'm suggesting we do like interpersonally but this is yeah. like intrapersonally in yourself um yeah you can kind of think about your you know like bad thoughts or self-destructive thoughts about yourself almost like a you know like a shitty parent or like a conservative parent who talks about your weight or whatever it's crappy and it sucks and you wish they wouldn't do that but they're in their own way there's a way of understanding that in their own way they're just trying to help you. They're trying to protect yeah. you could be because they, that's what they were told. They were told exactly. that like you can't be this or that, you know? And so they're just trying to make sure that that doesn't, they're trying to protect you in a ineffective and kind of toxic way, but it, their intentions are good. You know, exactly. um, this, it kind of reminds me of, I've done a lot of um, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, it's very kind of similar. It's got a lot. It draws a lot of inspiration from um, from like Buddhism and and mindfulness. Um, where you know, like one of the main things that I read that really stuck with me was like you think of yourself as like driving a bus, and there's this whole council of people who are all riding on the bus behind you and every now and then one of them's gonna they're, they're all shouting and heckling you and telling you to turn here turn here and you like can barely like hear yourself think and occasionally they're gonna like stand up and try and like bum rush you and take the wheel and you have to like right you can't throw them off the bus because <laughs> that right. is you just can't you just like doors are sealed you're just gonna have to like get them to be like i understand we're going this way, though. I, I I appreciate what you're trying to say. I appreciate your concern. Please sit down. Step behind yeah. the yellow line, sir. You know, and totally. that's it. 
Yeah, that's definitely in alignment with IFS. And like the bus driver in IFS, they call it self with a capital S. And so it's self-led energy when you are not blended with a part. But when you're blended with a part, that's when you let one of the parts start driving the bus. And so you basically, you want to not let them drive the bus, but you also want to be like, why are you trying to drive the bus? What is going on? What is the need that is that is happening here like what are you trying to do you know yeah. and you might not like do it exactly the way that they want you to usually most of the time but you want to figure out what it is so that you can that you can address it in another way and then if you can the ultimate goal is they stop yelling at you constantly yeah. because they're because they trust you because they're like i don't need to fight to get my needs met actually the self is is listening and is like going to meet these needs for me so yeah. i don't have to take the wheel you know that you're yourself and you know that you are rightfully in the driver's seat because you have defined your values. And that's another part of acceptance commitment therapy is like, you got to figure out what your core values are. You got to keep moving in the direction of those values because if you're an avoidant person, which I am, um, you're going to steer the bus around pain and conflict Mm, uh and uh a good day isn't one where you don't have pain and conflict a good day is one where you steer the bus towards your values and sometimes that means you're gonna have to go through some rough patches you know and that's really hard to do and it's scary and fucking daunting but you know you're just gonna have to uh just gonna have to do it i don't know yeah that's really cool i feel like it aligns very well with ifs Hell yeah. Uh, Clementine Morgan, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to give you a chance to plug uh, all of your work if people can find you and, uh, you know, send you hate mail and cancel you and tell you uh, (laughs) that you're a bad person. So you can find my website, clementinemorgan.com. That's where I sell my zines and my books and things like that. Um, I also have a separate um, place where we sell the fucking canceled merch, which is fuckingcanceled.bigcartel.com. Um, we are currently, um, we, we bought the domain name for fucking cancel.com, but we need to attach it to the store, but somebody else bought the domain name and fucking attached it to a cancellation website about us. But fortunately that has expired and we managed to get it. So eventually it will be fucking cancel.com, but we're still right. sorting that out. Um, fucking cancel podcast. You can find most places you listen to podcasts, Spotify, whatever you can look it up. Um, and on Instagram, I am uh, Clementine Morgan. Basically anywhere I'm Clementine Morgan. So. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you once again to Clementine Morgan for being on the show. Check out her work. And, uh, you know, again, I think um, I... When I first heard of who she was and what she was about and what her podcast was about, uh, kind of the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And I had this sort of like, uh, what do they call that? Limbic response, you know, like almost this like, ooh, like fight or flight thing. Because uh, I'm not going to lie, like I still have that anxiety about running into people on the Internet and then finding out that they're like a chud. You know what I mean? I still have this, like, anytime I find someone new, and this is especially true in, like, the martial arts community, anytime I find somebody on Instagram who uh, is good at jujitsu, I kind of go through their profile with bated breath, waiting for them to say something really awful. 
and then I'm like, God damn it. And, you know, it, it, do I follow them because they still have good information about a thing I'm trying to learn and just trying to ignore the rest of their shitty politics? I don't know, man. I'm still working all of that out. It's hard because there are feelings involved in this, and I don't think that it should be just a, a an argument of logic. I don't think that it should just be like this facts don't care about your feelings shit. I think that feelings are valid. I think that uh, we are human beings and we have emotions. And uh, emotional input is important, is an important part of the equation when making a decision, when deciding your values and your judgments. But it shouldn't be the only factor. It shouldn't be the only thing steering the ship. You know what I mean? You should not ignore it, but not let it grab the wheel. Know what I'm saying? Okay. That's about it for me. I've been talking enough. I'm going to go lie down. Uh, music is by Shea Bartel. Follow me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at Self Worst. Um, you know, uh, send me hate mail. Uh, tell me I'm a, a bad guy and I'm enabling abusers or whatever it is. Uh, and uh, that's fine. Um, email the show selfworst at gmail.com and uh, let me know. Let me know that I'm problematic or whatever. I don't, I don't fucking, I'm tired. Um, that's all. Patreon.com slash selfworst. Hit me up and uh, watch the video content. Watch me uh, on Zoom in case you want to see my sweet face as I talk. Oh, my phone keeps going off. I'm sorry, folks. And, uh, you know, let's uh, let's be good to each other. Let's uh, go in and have them snip our vast deference uh, so that we can uh, so that we can just just raw dog it this summer carefree be bringing more babies into this extremely fucked up collapsing world um that's it I'm down to talk more about uh if if, if you're a if you're a dude if you're a penis haver and, and you got curiosities or uh trepidations or whatever about uh doing the old snip snip hit me up I'll walk you through the process I'm happy to do that for you all right, I'm going to get out of here. Um, I'm Brad Pearson. I love you very much. I die for you. I kiss you on the lips. Bye. <laughs>